Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Hey. You got Liz and Chad here. Yes, you do. And a special bonus episode. That's right. We decided we couldn't wait to uh, jump on this Game of Thrones uh, love train that we've been (laughs) seeing. And uh, we're going to do a special shorter episode where we just um, go over our thoughts and expectations on this episode. the premiere of this season's Game of Thrones. Yeah, absolutely. So season seven, episode one, and we will cover this off or we'll cover off on that in this short episode. Uh, Talk about a couple of other things as well, but that's really going to be predominantly what this is about. So this is our first introduction into the world of Game of Thrones, because up to this point, we have done nothing but talk about the Kingkiller Chronicles. So that means that we may have some people joining us who wouldn't have otherwise listened because uh, they're not into the King Killer Chronicles. Brace yourselves. That's right. <laughs> Be prepared. Now we do want to talk about. Um, we want to set a couple of uh, things from the from the beginning. We want to talk about spoilers, and then we want to talk about what does this mean for the rest of Game of Thrones, or what what people can expect. So, so first we'll talk about spoilers, and that is that in this case, we're going to spoil everything. Game of Thrones wise. Game of Thrones wise, exactly, yeah. Song of Ice and Fire, it's all on the table. Now, fortunately, at this point, we're so far past the books and so many of these storylines that there's not a whole lot really that we can spoil, but we certainly will talk about all the books, any of the... Anything out there that's within the... That's in the universe is fair game for this conversation. So, So you've been warned. We should also warn them about the poop jokes. Well, I mean, yeah, we make them a lot. We do. We do make. They a lot should of poop just jokes. know. It's pro- it's, that's probably fair. We overuse the word asphalt. I mean, I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> asinine. Asinine. What other ass words are there out there we can put? Well, in? if there's an ass word, we've used it. That's for sure. That's for sure. The other thing we want to talk about is we want to let you know that while we are going to cover off on this episode here, the premiere. We make no promises about the other episodes. The way this worked out was that we had actually intended to cover the season of Game of Thrones, but we have an opportunity to go out of the country for two weeks, and the way the timing is going to fall, it may actually even encompass three weeks. So there's no real purpose for us to attempt to cover the season you know, in its entirety because we're going to miss a chunk of it, and we're not going to be able to uh, podcast while we're while we're out there. So... We'll see what happens, but right now you got some bonus content. Right, and our Wise Man's Fear coverage will proceed according to schedule. Yeah, no changes um, there. No changes there. Yep. So don't, uh, if you're reading along with us, don't give yourself literary blue balls. No need. Keep on reading. <laughs> no need, no need. Okay, so 
Game of Thrones Season 7, Episode 1. We open up at the Twins with a face of Walder Frey talking to all of his gathered uh, Frey sons, all 47 uh, sons of Walder Frey, or however many he has. It's a ton. Uh, all gathered in the hall. And uh, did you know right away that it was Arya? I did. Oh, my. Yeah. Well, and thankfully, they um, it, it, they gave a pretty good recap leading up to yeah. this. Um, so if you hadn't remembered that Arya showed up at the end of last season and killed Walter Frey, that was a reminder for you. So as soon as I, you saw him there, I knew. And I was just like, holy crap, he's she's going to poison them all. Mm-hmm. It's going to be amazing. And I was not disappointed. And it was. Exactly. It, was an, it was one of the best cold opens I've ever seen. I, yeah, I, I was just blown away. Really a great a great way to open the season. I mean, a great way to open the episode, a great way to open the season, really a great opener. I did for a second wonder, I was like, is this a flashback? But that was literally about a half a second before I realized, yeah, no, that, that Arya had changed faces. So great way to open the season. Now, the other thing it, it did put me in the mindset of right away was the idea that I, I'm not quite, sh- and I'm not quite sure why, but it, it put me in the mindset right away that this is the show. It's not the books. We're kind of we're in like we're getting down to the end of this series, and you're not gonna you're not gonna want to overthink the logistics of it all. Like that's sort of the mindset I got into right away. I was like, all right, this is gonna be this is gonna be fun. We're not gonna overthink everything. We're not gonna get too caught up in you know, verisimilitude, we're going to, we're going to move forward and, uh, and have a good time with this episode. And I think that's going to set us up for being able to actually enjoy the season. Well, yeah, I mean, the way that I have been looking at the show as is that this is a very elaborately produced fan fiction. Yeah. You know, um, because obviously there have been some pretty major departures, some of which have really pissed us off. Some of which have been good. Some of which have been pretty awesome. Yeah. But either way, from in my mind, the two are completely di- separate stories. Um, yeah. They're t- different ways of of being in the world and enjoying the story. So I can enjoy them both equally. Yeah, agreed. And Ed um, Sheeran didn't piss me off. I mean, no, and that's and that's what we're going to talk about next. Is so so after Arya scene in the twins when she just is completely awesome. She stumbles upon this Lannister uh, group of soldiers who are actually coming to the twins to figure out what's going on. And of course that's when we see the, uh, the face of Ed Sheeran uh, out there in, in the crowd. And apparently this caused a lot of controversy. I mean, I don't understand why for me. I mean, I can, I guess I can understand why for some people the fact that he was is so famous and such a well-known face that it could be off-putting and kind of take you out of the story. That wasn't true for me. And they've certainly had guest stars before. But for me, the scene fit in well. And I kind of liked seeing Arya. I mean, she's coming down like this vengeful goddess, okay, out of Bravos with the powers of a faceless man. But then we get to see that she's not, well... As far as we know, not just an indiscriminate killer. Okay, now we could open the next episode with her walking away from all of their bodies. I don't know, but yeah. in that instance, I was like, it was like, well, she was definitely going to kill them, but she kind of brought it down. And yeah, it's it's interesting because that was actually kind of my question: is what do we open the next episode on? 
you know, because you could really kind of go one of two ways. I mean, I think there's some thought amongst the fandom that Arya is going to go quite dark. And if we open up on next week and, you know, she's, you know, walking away from the corpses, as you said, I mean, that's that's a very, very different thing than what I think we're going to get from Arya, which is I think we're going to get a little bit more of her mercy. And what leads me to believe that she's not going to kill them is the same thing that caused her to stay her hand when the young uh, wife Walter of Walter Frey was about to take a sip of wine. And then she, while staying in character, you know, managed to stop her from drinking the wine. So I think you're going to see a little bit more humanity there. Uh, It did cause me to question too. If you're in a campsite and somebody gives you food and drink, does that count as guest right? I do not know. Yeah, I don't know. My thought is no. I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to say a campsite is not the same as guest right. Yeah, I think it's a roof over your head. You're, someone's, you're coming into someone's home sort of that's, thing. Yeah, that's the way I took it as well. Okay. All right. So we're in agreement. If she does kill him, she's not in violation of guest right. I agree. So do you think she kills him or do you think she... I don't know. I, I mean, I know what I think that her character would do, yeah. but, you know, I don't think Jamie Lannister would have killed his cousin back in season whatever. <laughs> what was what season was that? Uh, this, that we're still pissed off about. I think it was season two, the end oh, of season two. God. Yeah. I mean, who knows? So I, I try to go into it with no expectations, but I'm just going to say no. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think she doesn't kill them. I think that's the direction they go. All right, now uh, let's move on to King's Landing. Yes, let's. So while the scenes with Arya I enjoyed and the scene, you know, with Walder and the twins I thought was just a fabulous thing, this is probably the the, the low point of the episode for me. Really? Yeah, so we open with uh, Cersei Lannister standing over this map of Westeros and Jaime kind of wanders in and they have a little conversation. So if I'm correct, and I, and I could be wrong, the the tail end of last season has has Jamie walking in, you know, after everything's been blown to hell. He sees Cersei, but we don't see any there's no conversation between them. It's just sort of like some eye contact across the room and we don't get a chance to actually see his reaction to what she's done. And so this is the first sort of chance we've had to see him react. And the way he responds to her to me is so far beyond what I think Jamie Lannister would do that it was very, it took me out of the scene. In what way? So Jamie, Jamie Lannister killed a King to prevent that King from blowing up King's landing with wildfire. And in this universe, his sister just did that very thing. And for him to be in, to walk in there and be like, are we cool? Like, I just, I, I don't get it. Like, I mean, his sister and the mother of his children, his twin sister and the mother of his children. I, I mean, do we really think he's going to stab her in the back? Like, no, I don't think he's, I don't think that at all, but I don't think he sticks around and is like, okay, where do we, like, how do we strategize and figure out our next move together? I don't, I don't see that when when that's what she's done. Or maybe he's thinking, and you know, I love to retcon. I love mm-hmm. it. I yeah. love to rationalize fictional characters. Mm-hmm. But maybe he's thinking, 
hmm, maybe if I had been here, I could have stopped her from doing that. And recognizing that she is obviously batshit crazy at this point. So is him going in there and challenging her really going... Like, he does try to talk to her about rational, sane things and saying, hey, we haven't talked about the fact that our son just killed himself. You know, and she does not respond to that in a rational way no she doesn't you know um well and the one thing i'll I'll, the one thing i'll say is the damage is already done like she's i mean she's already destroyed half of king's landing at this point so what he wanted you know to prevent has already happened cat's out of the bag so uh, i can sort of understand it from that standpoint but i just i don't see Jamie Lannister having realized what she has done and having realized that he has spent his whole life being called Kingslayer to prevent that from happening and that now it's his own sister that is going to that's going to do that. I don't I don't see him sticking around. I don't see it playing out that way. I mean, book Jamie. No movie. Jamie is a little bit more milk toast. Yeah, that's the perfect word for it. He's a little more milk toast, especially when it comes to Cersei. Well, for sure, yeah, it's not. I mean, Book Jamie draws a line in the sand. In, yeah, I mean, at this point, I think in the narrative, Book Jamie was like he was already out. checked out. Yeah, yeah, he was Back like, in I'm Feast done for with Crows. you. Exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. So no, it's a fair point that especially with this character, more than any other character, Book Jamie show Jamie uh, two completely separate characters. Right, and you, you can't think of them as the same, or you'll... Be very angry? Yeah. I mean, you can. <laughs> Some people like being angry. I'm not judging. If that's your thing, steal All right. away. All right, so, so so moving on. That was just, that was a low point for me. But moving on, so Cersei, you know, they talk about strategy, and, you know, who are they going to find for allies? And Cersei has decided to invite Euron Greyjoy... Uh, to town come on in you're on bring your thousand ships that were created in the last two months right that was my low point the really? fact that you're on Greyjoy built a thousand ships faster than Cersei's hair was able to grow out yeah <laughs> I'm sorry that's just over the disbelief maybe point. that's just the style she's into that's now past my disbelief threshold I got that yeah it's <laughs> a fair point not only did they manage to make a thousand ships but they looked fabulous so fancy <laughs> and you know Euron Greyjoy is another one that's there's a lot of interesting contrast between book Euron and show Euron mm-hmm. so what are your thoughts on that you know it's funny because it, um, it's interesting you brought that up because I get super super upset about Jamie Lannister and how he's been changed but I really could care less about Euron like I really guy liner Euron didn't bother you at all I mean I don't I don't like it but I I guess here's the difference is that we got introduced to Euron in a way where it was obvious that he was not going to be book Euron that's a very good point. You know, he where, definitely was yeah. at least consistent. Yeah, whereas, you know, Jamie from, you know, the very first episode, you know, in the in the first whole first season is very much like book one Jamie Lannister. You know, there's really Yes, no, yeah. You know, you set up the expectation that this character is gonna be like the book character, and then in season two, you start to deviate in small ways, and then, you know, by the time you get to season five and season six, it's like you know, 
it doesn't even make sense, you know. Jamie Lannister's so completely different. But Euron Greyjoy was different from the get-go. And it was clear to me he was going to come in there like, you know, like a cross between like... Dario Naharis. Oh, okay. That's what you reminded me of. Oh, yeah, that's, you know, he's actually closer to to what Dario Naharis would be. I was going to say a cross between John Wayne and Prince. Yeah. Because that's kind of that's what what I get out of the guy. But no, he doesn't really bother me. You know what I wanted so bad? It didn't happen. But in the scene where he says to Cersei, all I've ever wanted is something like, all I've ever wanted is to grow up and marry the most beautiful woman in the world. Mm-hmm. And she says, I decline your offer. And I so he pauses for a second and I really thought he was going to go, I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> and if he had... I would have <laughs> married the show right there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. No, and he had some clever lines, you know, I've got thousand ships, two good hands. Yeah, that was a good response. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, he had some clever quips, that's for sure. But what do you think about the whole concept of Cersei reaching out to Euron Greyjoy? I mean, I think it's fine. I think we probably haven't talked, we haven't talked about this, but I assume we're in agreement that what the gift he's going to get her is a dragon. Well, I think that's what he's going to try. He's going to go use the yeah. horn and... Well, that tr- you that's know. certainly what he's going to do, what he's trying to do in the books. It's just interesting that they haven't brought out the horn. I was kind of... They a, did, didn't they? No, I don't think so. I think I might... I thought they did. I don't remember where. During the King's Mood, it was like him and 10 of his closest buddies in, in rags and a little driftwood crown... And then in this episode, uh, there was no horn. I was thinking maybe this would be the episode they brought out the horn, but I'm I'm pretty sure that in the show there's been no mention of the horn. Hmm. You're looking it up. I I might be. <laughs> so th- so, but that is what you think he's going to do. Uh, obviously, I mean, I feel like everybody thinks that, but. I could be wrong. I'm kind of curious, like, well, I, I'm certain that the horn thing hasn't been introduced in the show. And without that, I'm not quite sure how he goes and wrangles himself a dragon. Well, if it hasn't been introduced, then I predict that it will be. And that's what he's going to do. I... He's going to bring back um, Viserion. Mm. That's my prediction. Good prediction. I'm I'm completely perplexed as to what he's going to do. I was kind of thinking he was going to attack Old Town. For what purpose? I have no earthly idea. Because oh. it's there, but I don't I don't really know what that would accomplish. Let's move on to Winterfell. Yeah. Okay. So Winterfell, we have the scene with John. And Sansa in the hall in Winterfell, all the different lords of the north, kind of talking about what they're going to do. They're going to train everybody, men and women, to fight. They're they're not going to give up. Uh, It wasn't the Glovers. It was the Umbers and the Karstarks. Not going to take their castles from them. Do you think that was the right move? Absolutely. I think it was the right move. I think that John won those families over anew. You know, whereas he would have had these lingering two great houses just bitterly resenting him and his house. 
but now he's won them anew rather than putting a new family in there. No, I, I agree. Yeah, I think it's absolutely the right move. I don't think, I think you win, you know, who who else would you give him to anyway? Like, that doesn't already have castles, you know what I mean? I'm sure there are people I'm sure around. that there are people around, but Third I think... Todd to the left could use a castle, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> No, I think it I think it's definitely it was definitely the right move to do that as well. Now, what do you what's your whole take on the conflict between Sansa and John? I mean, I like seeing Sansa show a bit of a backbone. Mm-hmm. I I think it's a really interesting contrast and always has been between her and Arya. You know, so Arya finally makes it back to Westeros with badass assassin powers. Doesn't even go try to see her family or find out what's happened to them. Yeah, yeah. She just, she's so intent. She's just intent on her vengeance. She's going down to King's Landing. She's going to do her thing, you know, and Sansa has always been all about her family, but obviously she's really driven by revenge against the Boltons still. So in her mind, the Karstarks and the Umbers need to be out because they sided with Ramsey. Yeah. She's still really, so obviously, I I mean, I definitely think that John was right to do what he did and to even kind of not let her walk all over them like he did. Mm -hmm. And I think Sansa was wrong to challenge him publicly, but at the same time, it's nice to see her grow as a character a little bit. It is. it, It seems to me that the whole conflict in Winterfell just really seems to be contrived. That, that's part of the problem I have with it, is that the only real conflict there seems to be is that Sansa keeps challenging John in public or contradicting him in public, which, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, Lordship 101. And Sansa would know better than that, I feel, than to, to just, you know, burst out in, in a public setting like that. That's something you take you know, kind of on the side or to like a small council type scenario. And she, you know, and she should express herself and have that point of view. She's got a very, very, you know, worthwhile opinion and a set of experiences that John doesn't have. You know, she spent a lot of time in the South. She understands the house politics, the bigger, the bigger political picture, I think much better than he does. So I think she's absolutely a valuable advisor but it just seems to me that the only that they're creating a conflict there to try to create this whole tension so that Baelish can exploit it. But it just seems to me to be kind of artificial. Like, I just don't think that would really happen. I mean, I agree that Sansa is in the wrong in the conflict. But to me, it does not seem contrived. Hmm. It seems completely in keeping with her character because Sansa is a dumbass. I mean, oh. and no, look, 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 I'm, I've just said I've seen her grow and I think that's good. So I think her dumbassery is getting better, but also she's kind of a dumbass. I'm sorry. <laughs> like she's, but she's never been an outspoken dumbass. Now, listen, can't say that's that. right. No, but listen. <laughs> so for me, the way that Sansa acted was completely in keeping with her character. And I see her now as a young woman who is very, very broken, very, very driven by revenge. And, you know, going through the trauma that she went through, she, you know, you you just want to heal it. And she's decided, like, she wants revenge against the Boltons. Mm-hmm. Okay, she got revenge against Ramsay. Very satisfying, gory revenge. <laughs> but it doesn't fix 
what happened to her. So for her, like, she just wants to smite anyone who sided with him. And she can't forgive. And she's probably more of a Stark than John. The Starks were very cold, unyielding, all about justice. Mm -hmm. So, no, they didn't have a whole lot of mercy. Probably more something Ned would have done. But I think the way, you know, the way she's acted is completely in keeping with her character. I didn't see it as contrived at all. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that because, and again, this is where you talk about show character versus book character. And when they married Sansa to Ramsay Bolton, you know, obviously it took it took a turn and a whole set of experiences that you don't get in the book. Those two characters are in such completely different places at this point that it's really difficult to compare them. But they're, but again, they're they're completely different characters at this point. So it's hard for me to say, but I don't feel like it's consistent with her character. I don't. You think she would have sat there? I think she would have had. I don't. I think she would have been able to just be more in control of her tongue. I think she would have said exactly what she said. I just don't think she would have done it in front of every lord of the north. I think she would have had those conversations in private. Well, it's sort of, and it it kind of goes back to what she did at the end of last season where like, you know, the, all the, like it was a beaut that beautiful fight scene is one of the most dramatic, you know, the battle for Winterfell was just a dramatic scene, but so much of the drama was just caused by her choosing not to communicate to people. Now that was contrived. Yeah. That was, contrived and really bothered me yeah you know the fact that she would definitely have told john that she had done this right exactly i mean it it was really just so we can have that last stand and and that dramatic scene it made no sense at all no that was just cheap writing so i i agree with you there i i don't agree with you on this scene i thought it Mm -hmm. was all I, i think that for me it would be less realistic for these two characters who never liked each other, who grew up with her constantly putting him down and thinking of him as less than, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't just take that piece out just because they've, and yes, they've come back together because they've been through so much. They've lost their whole family and that's great, but you just don't take out the piece that Sansa's mother, who she idolized, who she always wanted to be and looked up to despised John. John was like the living reminder that her husband had been unfaithful to her. You know, so you don't like I, I'm I'm down with that and I'm down with there being conflict between them. I just think the vehicle that they're using to do it doesn't make sense to me, you know, and it's they're trying to set up this sort of try this power struggle in this triangle so they can say, oh, is, is Peter Baelish going to exploit it? Is Peter Baelish going to be able to turn Santa? But. I just don't, I don't see that, I don't see it playing out that way. It just, to me, it doesn't, it seems like a continuation of the end of last season where it's just cheap writing to try to add some drama that, frankly, I don't really, I don't think it would be there. And I don't think, I certainly don't think it would play out that way. So it just, I don't like it. Well, we will have to agree to disagree on that. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. I mean, unless you want to fight about it. Maybe later. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> All right, you ready to go on? Yes. All right, so then we have um, 
and I, I don't know if I'm in, I don't think I'm in any kind of chronological order, order here, but we had this uh, very, very short scene with Bran and Mira. Yes. And Mira is a huge badass. She's totally a badass. So Mira Reed for president. Yeah. And the only, the only thing I have to comment on this scene, I mean, it was a nice scene with, uh, with Dolores Ed there, but really there was a lot of fan theories last year that the wall was going to come down and the wall was going to come down when Bran came on the other side of the wall. Huh. The idea that he was the three-eyed the three-eyed raven now and that he was going to be responsible for bringing down the wall by crossing underneath the wall. Well, that didn't happen. Exactly. Obviously. <laughs> and that... And that no, if the wall comes down, it's not just going to be like a whoops, there it goes. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of, it's going to be like a 45 minute long build up. I, I think it's unnecessary. I don't even think the wall has to come down. Like to me, that's, I mean, it, it would be a dramatic moment, but I don't, I don't see it really being all that critical. They've are, I mean, at least in the book, I don't, I don't know if it's been um, demonstrated in the show, but it's already been demonstrated in the book that they're going to come around East watch right through the ocean. Yeah. Like that's how aren't there dragons. Don't they have ice dragons or something? Is that just a weird dream I had? Yeah. I think the, there's supposed to be stone dragons and dragon stone. Well, okay. That's probably just a weird dream I had then. Huh? Yeah. Not that I know of. Could be showing my, my ignorance there though. But anyway, that was really the only thing to note about that is that the wall did not come down when Brandon, well, Brand. I just noted that Dolores Ed was looking fine in his, you know, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch garb. There you go. He yeah. was looking very like commandery. Him and like he's he's commanding like seventeen dudes that are left. <laughs> but he looked commandery, didn't he, he? He looked very commandery. He was like, let them in. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, Hold on. We gotta send one guy back. <laughs> okay. Because everyone's pulling double duty. All right. So the next scene I have written down is the scene at the Citadel with Sam. Oh, God. Are, are we in agreement that was the most disgusting thing they've ever uh. shown in the television show? I mean, I understand why they made a dragon on that long to like... Oh, my God. Show you like... It didn't have to drag on that long. I mean, I understand... It was ridiculous. ...why they did it, but... Yeah. <laughs> it was it was a little over the top. So what did you think of this stuff with Sam? I mean, I thought that scene dragging on as long as it did, first of all, showed you how long, t- how much time has passed. Mm-hmm. And it gave Sam, it helped you understand why normally very timid Sam would be brave enough to steal a key and steal a book. Yeah, because he's frustrated, yeah. He's like, it just shows you like how, yeah, terrible and frustrated he is. Yeah, my only problem with the scene, other than the, you know, just the gross factor, is essentially what we got out of this was that there's a pile of dragon glass in Storm's End. Was it Storm's End or Dragonstone? No, Dragonstone. Dragonstone, I'm sorry, Dragonstone. Which I feel like, Stannis already told us. He said there were stone dragons. I'm pretty sure he said, 
I could, I'm, I'm almost certain. I don't know if it was in the book or the show, so that might be where I'm a little off base. But I feel quite certain that Stannis told Sam directly that they have lots of dragonglass in Dragonstone. That might have, must have been in the book. That could, that could. I don't, be. I don't that think that be. happened in the show. That could be. In which case, okay, so they're they're setting that up. That's, but that's all I had. Anything else there? No. Okay. So really only two more scenes or two more kind of arcs here. And the first one is the Hound with Beric Dondarrion and Thoros of Mir. Oh, I love this. This this redemption arc makes up a little bit for what I feel is the weakening of Jamie's redemption arc in the show. I, I loved it as well. This was my favorite part of the episode. As much as I enjoyed the scene in the twins... And okay, may, maybe the scene in the twins was my favorite part of the episode, but but I enjoyed this part a lot. Of course, I love Rory McCann, and the Hound is one of my favorite characters. But the whole scene when they go to the house with the daughter and the little girl—I mean, all of it—I I loved every bit of it. I, I felt like it kind of slowed the pace down a little bit of the show. Like I, you know, it, it wasn't the most exciting thing, but I didn't care because I love the hound and I love Rory McCann and I love just, I loved it so much that it didn't, didn't bother me that it slowed things down. I thought it was very interesting and symbolic that the hound apparently is given by the Lord of light, I guess the ability to see visions in the fire, you know, he's someone who has hated fire his whole life, but has been marked with fire. So Mm -hmm. just liked that symbolism there. Yeah, that was that was interesting. And then, what do you? I mean, so do you think they're going to go up north and try and stop the uh, the White Walkers? What do you yeah. think they do? Yeah, I think there's going to be. Uh, is there one more season here? Yeah, there's se- yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Eight there's going to be a stand against them at Eastwatch by the Sea, mm-hmm. probably toward the end of the season, and then next season will be the last. You know, where and I think they're going to build up tension between John and Daenerys. Can he trust her? Blah, blah, blah. He needs the dragon glass. And I think then, that's oh, going to happen quickly. What? We're secret cousins. Let's be lovers. That yeah, kind of yeah. thing. I think that's going to ha- start happening like next episode, yeah. actually. Yeah. I think that's going to kind of be the the um, conflict this season. But then they'll turn around and, um, you know, fight the Night's King. Yeah. The um, nice little nod to the grave digger where they had... Sandor out there actually digging digging a grave. Right. You know, I, I did have to. I struggled a little bit to remember what it what exactly Sandor had done with those people, but I finally kind of. I think I put it all together, which is that he and Arya went stopped by that house, and Sandor just stole their stole their stuff and basically left them there penniless. And then, because I was like, "Wait a minute, did he kill them?" Like, I, I like I no, but quite he was remember. going to. Yeah, and Arya would not let him. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And his justification was, "They're going to die of hunger anyway. It's going to be terrible. I may as well just." Yeah. But she would not let him. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm glad you. I struggled a little bit to remember that, but yeah. So I, I great scene. I loved. I loved every bit of it. So, what do you think is going to happen with? Elena Tyrell. Hmm. Because that's there's a couple of players we haven't seen out on the board yet. Well, that's a good that's a good point. So one thing about the Tyrells is that despite having lost several members of their family, 
there's still a shit ton of Tyrells left and a crap ton of Tyrell soldiers. And they're very wealthy. And it's the breadbasket of Westeros. Yep. So, I mean, I still think they are major players. I don't know that we're going to see a whole lot of them in the show, but my my thought would be that they'll probably go over to Daenerys very quickly. I would hope so, as with the Sand Snakes, although I personally would just like to see Dorne fall off of the stupid map because yeah. I'm so disappointed in how that storyline played out last season. As yeah. are many people, I know I'm, I'm pro- preaching to the choir and is there anyone who really loved that twist I when they talked. killed Durant? I don't know. Is there anyone out there? Please call it, you know, tweet us <laughs> if you really loved Duran getting killed. Call 888 Dorn sucks. 888 <laughs> Dorn sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. It was just it was just there was just badness heaped upon Yeah, and badness. we don't we don't need to pile on that. Uh, but I but I agree. I think the best thing that they could do would just be to pretend like Dorn doesn't exist from this point out. Just maybe they can come in at the last battle like, "Oh, look. They're on Daenerys' side too." Hey. Yeah. Hey guys. Hey, hey guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's just pretend like Dorne doesn't exist. Which kind of takes us to the last stage of the of the episode and that is Dragonstone itself with Daenerys land, landing and we saw a couple couple scenes of kind of like Daenerys and her cadre coming across the ocean. And the only thing I could think standing there with the, you know, the boats, everybody coming across the ocean and the dragons flying overhead. The only thing I could think is have they all been standing in that same position the entire time? Did they cross the entire ocean with just standing in formation? Because that's what it looks like. It does. Well, it's not a very big ocean. <laughs> no. I mean, if you look at it. We had to come from Marine all the way to Westeros. <laughs> so that's a long time to stand there. I mean, Varys has definitely got his sea legs by now. <laughs> so they land in Dragonstone. What did you think about this scene? Oh, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. It was like, dra- they did a great job with Dragonstone. The way it looked was fun- was phenomenal. Like, they really did a good job with the way it looked. I felt like it lacked a little bit of the emotional punch that it could have because it, it's sort of like they just didn't spend enough time kind of setting that up inside the episode, you know? Like, maybe a scene or two with Daenerys earlier in the episode, but it... um. But it didn't matter to me. I, I was kind of going along with it anyway. And I was like, oh, they're landing. But I don't know. It it, it seemed like it could have been stronger. No, I kind of liked that it just opened with her landing. Really? Yeah. You know, like enough dicking around. Like I felt like the entire last season was Daenerys dicking around. Yeah. And it point. was very satisfying to see her just put her feet on Westerosi sand and just you know, her one line was was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. No, I like the way it ended for sure. The um, There was some criticism I've heard from some folks that Dragonstone's not abandoned. It wouldn't be abandoned. But it, my take is that it it's basically run by a skeleton crew at this point. So it might as well be abandoned. Run <laughs> like for it, who? I mean, who... Oh, well, uh, Stannis didn't leave. St- Stannis left people in Dragonstone. He didn't just 
abandon it whole, you know, entirely. There is there is a retinue left behind in Dragonstone. It's not much, and when Daenerys shows up with three dragons, it's certainly not, you know, going to take them long to to get them to uh, to bend the knee to Daenerys. But so to me, that just seemed like semantics that we re- didn't really need to go through. So it might as well be abandoned, and I think that just made it simpler from a storyline perspective. So that didn't bother me, but there were some people who who bitched about that. Right. I mean, I think it would have dragged down the the emotional yeah. momentum to what that end? was going on if yeah. she had to like dither with like a gatekeeper. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, that just that was that was going to ruin it. No, ag- agreed. Uh, which is so like yeah. assume that she sent a an advance party. I mean, <laughs> I would assume that she sent an advance party of Unsullied to sweep through the castle and make sure that, you know, there weren't any assassins or anything. Yeah, it, um, it. Yeah, to me, that was much ado about nothing. Yeah. I mean, my favorite part of that whole scene was Tyrion's face. Like, the whole time, he's just looking around like, holy shit, this is really happening. Yeah. <laughs> like, his face just is like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's real. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, I think the pace is going to pick up from here quite a bit. I mean... We're basically down to, I think, because there's seven episodes this season. I think they're only going to do six next season. So, Jeez, really? I think so. So we're down to like <sighs> 12 remaining episodes. So That's basically crazy. one long why, season. I wonder why they made it so, so few. I guess it was expensive to make. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, don't know exactly how much storyline is left. So it's hard, you know, without us kind of seeing the the whole end game, it's hard, it's hard to say. I'm just saying, could they have made like seven episodes and put Lady Stoneheart in there? Like, well, there's, I mean, there's a lot of decisions that they've made that you know I'm not, I'm not going to try to justify. Good. I'm not because <laughs> you'd be wrong on this one. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, so many of this. It's it's funny how the how those decisions are impacting the storyline today, though. Because, like, we talked about Sansa and her revenge thing, which wouldn't really exist in the show, uh, or in the books, rather, about the whole thing with Beric and, you know, and the Hound. You know, obviously, Beric's dead in the books, you know. So, you know, just all these little decisions that they've made, but they're they're having a bearing, you know, on what we see now. Yep. So, all right, what do you, what do you think is going to happen next episode? Oh God! See, I I'm always the one who has to do all the predicting. I don't know. So this is a this is fun. I get to turn the tables on you. I don't know. I mean, I think Arya is going to continue to make her way south. Maybe she'll make it to King's Landing. Um, I certainly don't think she's going to kill Cersei right off the bat. No. Um, no. So I don't know what will happen to deter her there. Do you think she kills Cersei at all? Um, I don't know. She's certainly gotten everybody else that was on her list. I would say no, just because of the Valonqar prophecy. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think I probably agree with you. I, I think something's going to happen, and she's going to either be killed or have to go north. That kind of brings me back to another question here. So one of the things that Sansa put in front of John is to say, hey, 
Don't get so wrapped up in what's going on in the north that you forget about what's going on down in the south. You know, when Cersei sends this uh, raven saying, hey, come bend the knee. And again, that's not in there for no reason. So what do you, how do you think that plays out? Do you see them sending a Lannister army north? I don't see how they possibly could. They have... Right? You know, they have so many enemies everywhere else. Unless Euron does come back with a dragon and they just take out the Tyrells and the Dornish and like mm-hmm. everybody else. But um, no, I don't, I don't see her doing that immediately. And then what do you think John's play is with that? I mean, if you're in John's shoes and you've got, you know, what's coming, you know, what's coming over that wall. And then you get this thing from Cersei and you, and it says, Hey, come to King's Landing or, you know, declare yourself an enemy. What do you do? What do you do? If no, you I mean, I think John is, is, um, going to do exactly what he said he did was, and that's nothing. Mm-hmm. And not worry about that right now because he's so focused on getting the wall manned, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very, very like Ned Stark in that way. Do you think it's um, wise to ignore it? Um, probably not. But um, again, I don't see Cersei having the strength to make a play for the North at this point, um, especially with Daenerys having just landed on Dragonstone. Yeah, I um I mean my thought is that I agree with you you don't you obviously don't go to King's Landing. I mean, of course you don't do that. But I think you have to pay her pay her lip service. That would be what I would do. How? You know, send send a raven back to say, you know, this this is what I would do if I were in those that situation. Because my thought is the Lannisters aren't going to be long for this world. So tell them we absolutely recognize you as queen. We'd be happy to come down as soon as we stop, you know, getting attacked by zombies. We're on our way. <laughs> yeah, he does that. He's going to lose every single bannerman he has in the north. Nah, I just you think so? Yes. Uh like like days ago they were chanting King of the North, King of the North. They're yeah. lo- they're on the King of the North train. There is yeah. no there's no going back. I mean, he's and yeah, he's walking point. around all cloak billowing and inspiring people and shit. <laughs> like, there's no way he's going to be able to like. He's got to come at this f- from a position of power and leadership. Ah, good point. Good point. I would have just I would have just told her whatever she wanted to hear. Yeah, but that's not Cersei's not going to be fooled by that. Yeah, you know, she told him to come to King's Landing. She wants him in King's Landing. Mm, good point. So she can like land his head right off of his body that's exactly what she would do like she's not gonna be like okay go be my vassal she's gonna kill him no yeah i mean my thought was just buying time until it you know until the weather gets colder i mean i don't think they're gonna send an army north anyway but just to try and buy a little bit more time she just blew up an entire church with the high septon and basically every one of her enemies like, there's no way she's going to let Jon Snow wander down to King's Landing and be like, okay, thanks. Oh, no, of course not. See no. you later. Of course not, yeah. No, I think he made the right move. Gotcha. All right. So, anything else about the episode? Nope. All right, gotcha. All right, let's move on. All right, so one other one piece of fandom news we want to talk about, and we'll talk about briefly. And we get to actually talk about something that's timely this time, because this episode will come out pretty quick. Yeah. And that is the announcement that the new Doctor, the 13th Doctor, 
13th, right? Yes. Is going to be Jody Whitaker, a damn female. <laughs> What's next? Real female doctors? <laughs> I love that. That's hilarious. Right? <laughs> so obviously they announce a a female doctor and the internet went stupid. Like it does. Like it tends to do over stupid things. And what what's strange to me is I haven't actually seen anybody complaining about it. I've just seen people complaining about people complaining about No, it. I mean, there are people complaining. I'm sure that there for are. For sure. Yeah. But, but like, like, for four instance, of them, right? on Facebook, okay, um, I've, you know, uh, looking at BBC America's announcement on mm-hmm. Facebook, and there's, when I looked at it, like right after it happened, there were 38,000 reactions. 2,000 of them were angry face emojis. 36,000 of them were heart and thumbs up emojis. Okay, so I think the proportion of people who are actually upset about it is small, but every time anyone, and I think probably a portion of that portion are just trolls who are like, just want the attention. Yeah. Okay. Because they know if they tweet something negative about this female doctor, that tweet is going to get screenshotted and there's going to be a Buzzfeed article about it. You know, I mean, because that's exactly what's happening. Well, yeah, they were right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, I'm sure there are some people who are legitimately upset and I feel bad for them, but, um, we live through dinosaurs on a spaceship, people. Come on. (laughs) Like, vagina doctor is not going (laughs) to, Well, not going to end us. I mean, I feel like we've known for years that there was going to be a female doctor. Right. And there's certainly precedent. And I, I honestly, I like how they built up the um, the concept of the female doctor with uh, Missy over the last few seasons. You know, we find out this character is actually the master. And then it's, you know, it's just kind of established that that can happen. And then we've got all these wonderful, I mean the end of the season where John Sims comes back and we get to see the interaction of the master with himself. I thought it was brilliant. I loved every minute of it. And, um, we're doing spoilers for the end of doctor who as well. Right. Ooh, I don't know that I would. Okay. I won't. I won't. Okay. You're right. Cause it's pretty current. Anyway, uh, without spoiling anymore, I will say that I thought it was brilliant. And, um, the, the fact that that happened. Okay. So for me, that makes it very consistent because we know that the doctor has some say in who he becomes, but it's not a conscious decision. It's very much born of his subconscious, mm-hmm. you know, because when he um, regenerated into Capaldi, he says to himself, why did I pick this face? What am I trying to tell myself? And he figures out that what he's trying to tell himself is that he can't be his companion's boyfriend. So he picked a, an older face. Mm-hmm. Really, I think that was trying to justify the fact that they have used an actor who was on the show previously as a completely different person, you know. Yeah. But um, that's okay. I can go. I've I've <laughs> I've gone with weirder things, liking Doctor Who. But the fact that we know that who he regenerates into comes from deep in his subconscious, and the fact that he just reconnected with and had this huge emotional experience with his the oldest and best friend in the world who regenerated as a woman. And there's even a line in that show where the master says, Oh gosh, is the future all women? And he says, we can (laughs) hope, you know? So to me, it's very internally consistent that he would at this point 
regenerate into a woman. That totally makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm more concerned with how the writing is going to be because I have not loved it for a couple of seasons. It's this, been inconsistent. With this last season, I loved Capaldi. I loved Bill. I liked the writing a lot better this season than I did really for most of the Matt Smith era. Did yeah. not love the writing. I did not love most of the female characters that have been on the show leading up to Bill. Amy Pond, two thumbs down. I'm sorry. It, it hurts me. I but... love the actress. She, uh, she's very beautiful. I want to crawl inside her skin and be her for real. But um, yeah, I hated that character. She was very poorly written. Clara, yep, I did not like her. Did not like the character. So for me, having a female doctor is like, okay, but someone different has to write her because whoever has been writing women on this show cannot write women very well. They're annoying as hell. Yeah. So I'm concerned with how's the writing going to be? And yeah, that's it. We'll see. Yeah, let's let's hope the internet calms down and gets... And, it gets a hold of itself. Get oh, a hold of it yourself, won't. Internet. It won't. It'll just go on to the next thing. Let's... Just enjoy your show anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Who cares? <laughs> All right. So we have we do have some listener interactions, and one we always will always start with this is we have a new iTunes review. Ooh, I love that. Me too. Uh, Five star iTunes review by Plex iOS is a ripoff. Okay. I don't know what Plex iOS is, but apparently it's a ripoff. Uh, and it says here, I finished book two and then discovered this show, and it has been very enjoyable as I have just started a reread. It has highlighted things I want to pay attention to, but have also been, but also has been generally enjoyable. Keep it up. I hope y'all do a slow regard when you finish uh, Wise Man's Fear. Yes. So good stuff. I'm excited for that. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm gl- I'm excited for that one as well. And I and I think we probably will do slow regard. I don't know if we'll take a break and do something else and then come back to it. We haven't decided that that far ahead, but we it's definitely pretty short. Will. Yeah, we def we definitely will do it for sure. We're definitely going to do that one. All right, a couple of other interactions here uh, on Twitter. We have uh, Adam at LFC Adam eighty eight underscore one eight underscore five. That's a handle. Uh, he says, um, enjoying the podcast, and then particularly, I think he was on episode four, he said, enjoyed calling Ambrose, Hem, and Pike dicks. They are dicks. They're dicks. They're a bunch of dicks. Mm-hmm. For sure. Also, Wolfman, who is at DJ Wolfman, that's L, excuse me, DJ W-O-L-F-M-A-N-N. Uh, he says, thanks for the shout out. This is a couple times we've interacted with uh, Wolfman. And he says, he's only rereading this books because of us goofballs. Well, that is very flattering. Isn't it? It's very sweet. Terribly. Very, very sweet. Um, also, Justin D. Clark, who we've had a, a couple of interactions with as well, who said um, the uh, strawberry wine lyrics made him laugh. So that's... Uh, well, that's two of you. <laughs> no, at least three. At least three. Come on now. <laughs> Give me some credit. Um, also, Theo at the OGB said he agreed that the loot descriptions from the end of book one to the beginning of book two are inconsistent. Oh, point one to Chad. <laughs> he also says he thought that the comments around where does the moon go uh, were really meant to just kind of highlight 
the lack of scientific knowledge that they have. I'm not quite sure how I feel about that because on one hand, it seems like they have, you know, some real intense academic understanding of what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. However, I have not seen anything that points to any understanding of astrology at all or astronomy, I should say at all. So there might, so there might be something to that. I haven't seen any kind of astronomical references. I think that we will definitely come back to that later in the book. Gotcha. 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 Okay. All right. So that is all that we have here for our bonus episode. Do you have anything else? Enjoy the bonus episode. Enjoy it. Bonus we content. did. We ah. enjoyed the bonus content. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night.